Hello, and welcome to Creative Banter, a creativity and philosophy-focused podcast where anything goes. I'm your host, Cody Schultz. Joining me is the one and only Ben Horn. In this episode, we discuss a bit about developing black and white film, along with Ben's continued interest in the medium. Further, we talk about how we learn and how mistakes help us to improve, both in life and in our photography. Let's dive right into it, shall we? Cody, what have you been up to lately? Slowly starting to prepare for my trip down to the Smokies. Nice. Yeah, between that and schoolwork, it's been an interesting week, for sure. Now, is it the sort of thing where your mind is more so on the uh, more so on the trip and a little less on the schoolwork? Looking forward to the trip immensely. So in that regard, yeah. But at the same time, I also know that, like, Okay, I really got to focus on this on this other work that I got to get done cuz I I'm pretty much all ready for the trip. Just a matter of like packing my clothing and uh packing some food, getting all of that together. But that's going to I have a couple of days yet, so that'll be easy enough to do in one day. Now on on the backpacking trip that you went on, you know, a few weeks back, uh did you did you bring your camera on that one at all? I did, yeah. Okay. Did you shoot any photos or was it more so just kind of getting the feel for packing things and, and everything along those lines? I made one photo. Um, yeah, just one. And it was actually a group shot, which was interesting to do. Um, I don't remember if I talked about this before, but so I had everyone set up by this like first Vista that we got to and they were all stood by uh-huh fence and it was my girlfriend, my buddy and his girlfriend that were there and obviously with large format it's really difficult to do like a, a four person exposure when you're in the shot so yeah. I thought I'm going to try something different here so I had the three of them stand how I wanted them to look at the camera and I took a single photograph then I had my buddy come over everyone else, the two girls stayed there my buddy come over and I explained to him how to expose the sheet of film a second time, same exposure settings and everything. Uh And then I went and I stood aside of my girlfriend and had everyone else leave then. So it was just me standing there. And then he took a photo of essentially just me on that second sheet. So a a double exposure to get all four of us into one photo. That'll be interesting. Have Have you developed that one yet? No, because I have, when I, when I first got back into film this year, after that little break that I had with digital, I decided I'm going to wait until like July or August to develop. And I made that decision back in March. So now I'm, I'm just sitting on this backlog of, it's only like 20 sheets of film, but still I'm waiting. That's testing my patience there. Yeah. That'll, I'm really curious how that one's going to turn out. Um, I'm just, I mean, I'm just I've done double exposures before, but 
So, so you'll be kind like of ghosted in there, right? Because it's, or I guess everyone will be kind of ghosted in to some degree. I mean, I honestly don't think you'll even be able to tell. I guess it depends on the light and all that too, and the background yeah. and everything else. I mean, I've done double exposures before, and I think it was only like an eighth of a second anyway. Okay. So it's not like it's really there's going to be much blurring or weird uh, ghosting, I guess you could call it, over the the leaves and stuff. But yeah, yeah, I am. Um, I was actually going to develop that one earlier, like shortly after the trip, but I made the mistake of I had other uh, film holders in that same bag yeah. and. I couldn't remember which one was which that had it in. And I think I had like three film holders that I had exposed from being up the mountains in general then. Mm. So I was like, yeah, I'll just wait. That's okay. Yeah. And right, <laughs> right now I just got in, I'm going to be doing an article for photography life. That's about testing film developers. And I have uh, PyroCat HD I have um, Ilford DDX, Cinestills Monobath, and then I'm also trying Caffinol, which should be interesting. Hmm. So I'm going to, I already took uh, four, or exposed four sheets of film just at uh, the shed in my backyard here, uh, all one after another, same settings, pretty much the same lighting. And I'm going to develop each one of those in a different developer and then compare them and see how the differences are and everything. But the caffeinol especially is going to be interesting. Yeah, that is, that is interesting. That's, that's not something I've really uh, seen a comparison of. I mean, I'm sure there might be stuff out there, but it's never been anything that I've, you know, searched for. Um, so that, that definitely will be quite interesting to see. Um, so people can kind of see the, the, the exact results and how it all, how it all works out. Yeah. I mean, I've been using Ilford DDX for essentially since I started doing film developing at home, but I know a lot of people start off with Caffinol because it's cheap and it's all stuff pretty much around the house that you can make it with. I mean, for those who aren't familiar, Caffinol is instant coffee with vitamin C, washing soda, and water all mixed together and sometimes people put in like uh, iodized salt I think it depends on what formula exactly you're following but for the most part that's just that's all that it is and it's so weird that that develops film yeah. but then again you can like I'm going off of the directions on caffeinol.org I think it is and uh, they also have other alternative processes where you can develop film with beer or with soda and huh. just all of this different. I'm like, what? That's but, that, that is fascinating yeah. stuff. Um, I actually in, in, on the topic of, of shooting film and, uh, developing all that stuff. I actually bought a, uh, Stearman press eight by 10 developing tray. Nice. Um, and then also I bought some of the, uh, the Delta 100, uh, cause I do want to get back into that again. And it's, it's certainly something that I'm, I'm looking forward to doing, especially now with gas prices where they are. And rather than having the urge to, 
travel somewhere far away and consume many tanks of gas. Um, maybe find some some local stuff to shoot some oak trees or some stuff like that. Um, so Even I'm, just I'm really stuff looking in your forward backyard. to doing that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's especially stuff that's when you're just starting close. out. Yeah, and yeah. and seeing as how I have an affinity toward dead trees uh, up in the local <laughs> mountains, and we, we had this fire that swept through. I think it was back in uh, 2003, something like that. And California it, it, on fire. I know. Who would have thought? <laughs> and this thing, it, it wiped out our our back country, and many of the oaks that we have, they're very resilient. They came back. A lot of the, the pines were were destroyed from that, and so it's it's had a long time for some of this stuff to come back. But there still are these these skeletons of these these oak trees that have fallen over a bit, and the ones that were just burned too much to recover. And uh, so I'll, I'll probably head up there at some point and just, uh, you know, spend some time getting to know the process and, and learning things. And it could uh, become a really interesting project for you, too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it will. And, and I'm hoping that this um, the Stearman Press will will help with the uh, inconsistent development that I had with trays um, because it does hold the film a bit more in place than with trays where it kind of moves around with the uh, uh, with the developer and stuff as everything's moving. And so I, I, I think this will be what I need to get into that because I, I got to say, I was looking through uh, your portfolio the other day, just looking at all the, the beautiful black and white images and uh, just thinking about how there, there is, there's a different quality that it captures. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, you know, trying to find some of that in some of the local areas here. Um, and just to have the experience of putting some compositions and some trees and stuff. Cause I, I love that process getting under the dark cloth and, and everything else associated with that. Yeah. It's nice. Just even if you don't end up taking any photographs, just to, to just go through the motions I've found is, can be really just serene, but oh yeah, have you found a, uh, have you figured out what developer you're going to be trying? So in the past, when I did a little bit of black and white, um, I used uh, Ilford's developer, the Ilfasol okay. 3. And okay. I honestly don't have anything to compare my experience of that to. So I, I don't know, you know what to look for in terms of a developer and the differences. Uh, so is there, do you have any, any thoughts on that? Like I said, I've always used Ilford DDX. Um, the only reason, the primary reason for me even writing this article and getting these other developers to test out isn't because I'm unhappy with DDX. It's mm -hmm. more so because I've heard such good things about Pyrocat that I really want to try it and it's a stain developer. So what that means is, well, it stains your uh, negative. <laughs> I mean... It, yeah. it makes it gives it like a uh, almost like a sepia tone which doesn't affect your uh, your scanning process but it has an effect when it comes to uh, contact printing so you'll end up if you're printing with uh, silver gelatin contact printing mm -hmm. the multi-grade papers you'll end up with a um a little bit lower contrast, at least from what I've read. I, I haven't experimented with this, so I'm not exactly 100% my knowledge here. But I also know that 
Pyrocat is very popular among people who do platinum palladium printing because it's supposed to help retain better retain your highlights and at the same time uh, boost your shadows a little bit so it lowers the contrast overall of the of the the film and that's now, for printing directly from the negative for doing the platinum prints yeah specifically yeah got it i mean it uh matt mirage uses pyrocat and i know uh ryan gillespie when he was doing photography i don't know if he still is um they both use that so that's kind of where i heard the name from but for someone who's just starting out and i know you've had difficulty with black and white i'll let you know how it goes this weekend because i'm probably going to try to at least get the development of these four sheets done before i leave for this trip nice i'm going to try this mono bath because what this is is it's both developer and fixer in one standalone uh, container. Hmm. So I'm curious to see how that works, how that turns out. And I'm not 100%, but I think, too, it's just a uh, what they call stand developing, where you pretty much just pour it in and you let it go for like an hour oh, wow. or so. And it just goes through the process. And you can do that with any film. I've done that, or with any developer, rather. I've done that with uh, Ilford DDX already, where you pour it in, you agitate it for the first like minute or so, and then you just let it sit for an hour, or an hour and 15 minutes or so. And it still develops. It just takes so much more time. But for maybe your first few sheets or so, that could be something that you might want to try. Yeah. Just to see... Because then you have no, unless you measure something wrong, like don't get the correct milliliters of uh, formula in there, there's really no way that you can mess something up. Well, that's, that's certainly good. I, I will say, though, that, you know, coming from the world of doing color, where things are kind of, it is what it is, you know, you, you shoot transparency, you get it developed, you look at it, I'm like, well, that's a tree. That's a rock. Cool. I'm going to scan it. going to make a print, man. Black and white is a whole, a whole nother world. So I, I think it'll be fun to, uh, to learn the ropes a little bit. And then maybe it'll give me a different way of seeing things when I go on the trips, when I have a bit more of a, uh, one bit more comfortable working with, with the film. Um, there was, there was something that I had, uh, had on my mind a little bit, uh, in terms of some of the, the things to, to talk about here. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it has to do with the way that, that we learn. And because I've noticed some, some trends in the way that I learn, which I know is going to be a lot different from other people. I know that it has directly affected the way that I do the YouTube videos and everything else along those lines. But before we get to that, I, I want to ask you if you have, if there's a particular learning style that you find works well for you as opposed to other methods that are out there. It depends on what I'm trying to learn, I think. Um, so when it comes to photography, I'm all hands-on learning. I need to actually go through the process and I can read about something and watch videos online or and all of that. But if I don't put that knowledge to the test, then 
I lose it or it just doesn't sink in. I just don't, it doesn't, it doesn't stick. Yeah. When it comes to reading, and I, I guess I could say that's with everything, that I have to kind of apply it in some way, whether it's truly hands-on or it's through writing and using that knowledge in some way. Um, because with my with my readings too, I need to take notes and then it helps to stick a little bit better and then it sticks even more when I either try and explain it to someone else or I try to write it down and implement it into an article or some other form of writing. So, so it sounds like you're very, very much an independent learner. Um, yeah. And sort of seeking out the information. Um, have you, have you ever done any, any photography classes or any, any sort of photography learning in, in more of a classroom sort of environment? In high school, I took two photography classes, but that was only because I knew they were going to be an easy A. So, yeah, yeah. Cause it, it's, it is really fascinating. Um, cause you'll, you'll see that there'll be people that will go on workshops. There'll be people that really want to work with, um, with people directly to learn and to absorb their knowledge. But I'm, I'm also very much a independent learner and I'll take on, if there's something that I want to know, I'll, I'll do whatever research it is to kind of, to figure out what it is I want to, to seek out the information. But ultimately for me personally, and this does relate a little bit to the discussion of black and white, but for me personally, the best way that I learn is first of all, independently, but secondly, by making my own mistakes. Yeah. And I think that's something where in a traditional uh, education environment where you're just following steps to do something, it didn't really, it didn't really hit home so much for me, but if I'm out there in the field and I do something wrong, and I make a, a mistake, whatever it is, I'm going to learn so much more from that than from everything else. And I also have this thing where, and, and I think it's probably as a result of the way that I, the way that I learn is that I always feel really weird telling other people how they should do things. Um, which I think is one of the reasons why with, like the YouTube stuff. Um, I don't, I don't know this, this might be something that you, you have noticed, but I, I never tell other people what to do. I never tell people how to do something, but partially because I don't know that the way that I'm doing it is necessarily the best way. And so I would think that teaching someone to do something the way I do it is perhaps going to do them a disservice. Uh, but rather, it's just a way that I found that works for me. Yeah, it could just be the wrong way for them to learn or to do it. I mean, yeah. I there are certain things that I would do with my photography that if I try to teach it to somebody else, they'll they'll not be able to understand it as well or grasp onto it as quick. Yeah, and I think that goes along in the lines of just the simple fact that everyone learns differently, like. Just because you understand something and a way to do something doesn't mean that anyone else is going to grasp onto that. Yeah. And, and it also, 
it, it is kind of an interesting thing because it seems like with, uh, with YouTube, with social media, with everything else, it seems like there comes a time for a lot of people where they, they become pretty decent at something and the next course of action is to then to teach that. And it seems like all the YouTube videos, they're trying to teach things and, and, you know, there is something very, you know, there, there is, there's, there's definitely a place for that. Uh, during the pandemic, my wife remodeled one of our bathrooms based on only what she had learned from YouTube. So like how to tile, how to put new flooring in, how to do concrete countertops, all that sort of stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and, and YouTube was a very, very good resource for that. Cause you could see these videos that were done by people that were doing that. But when it comes to art related stuff, I, I struggle more with telling people what to do because it, it's not a trade. It's not, there's not a best practice of, you know, this is how you need to prep the wall for doing the tiling. This is the exact materials you need. These are the steps that you follow. But I think when you view photography not as a technical thing, but more as something that exists in the art world, it, it things get a bit fuzzy there. And, and it gets to be a little bit weird where I don't really have, I, I don't think that I'm even doing things the best way. It's just the way, you know, the way that works for me. So I always feel weird telling people how to do things. But I think some of the best teachers are the ones that, uh, set the students up for failure. Did, did you ever, ever have any any teachers like that at all? I wouldn't say it in the same way. I would say more so not necessarily setting up for failure, but allowing one to embrace the failures that are bound to come. Yeah. And showing that, yeah, if you make a mistake, if you screw something up, it's it's not that as big of a deal as you think. And I don't think I had any teachers that, at least not from my recollection, that did that. Or at least not as I saw it. Um, but I know that I learned it from plenty of the books that I've read. and like Especially when it comes to books on stoicism and letting things go. And I try to, I try to convey that to other people too. That whole mm -hmm. idea of if you make a mistake, it's not the end of the world. Yes, yeah. it's, it's something that you want to learn from and advance yourself. And to be honest, I think I learned that more from my parents than anyone else. The more that I think about it, hmm. just that like my parents were never ones who were really hard on me for grades in school or for as long as I was doing the best that I could, then that's enough. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't need to get straight A's in class all the time and I'm not going to be grounded for getting a C or anything like that. And even like the mistakes that I've made throughout my life and just silly things that I know I shouldn't have done, but just in the moment there, they happened and whatever. The biggest thing that my dad especially has always said is just learn from them. Like, okay, you, you messed up. We get it, but take that knowledge now that you have, of why this happened, how this happened, how to prevent this from happening, and don't do it again. 
that's that's definitely something that I can relate to. And I, I had a very uh, similar experience growing up. And I, I think it's when when people, whether it's you know parents or teachers or, or whoever, they they expect some degree of perfection. That yeah. just sets people up for the the wrong kind of failure. Um, some, something where you're not really going to learn as much from that. Um, and, and, and earlier when I was saying, you know, a teacher that sets one up for failure, maybe that's a bit, um, a bit of a harsh way of saying it. Um, but more so, and, and I can't really think of any specific examples because it's, it's been so long since I've been in school. Um, but basically where there's a, some sort of exercise that a, a teacher um, puts out there and maybe there's just the right amount of vagueness about something that will cause you to sort of come up with your own solutions and make your own mistakes along the way and then, then to learn along the way. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, just looking back at everything, like all I, I did take... Uh, I did take one year of photography in high school and then I took a couple classes in college, but it was kind of along the lines of what your experience was in terms of, you know, I knew as a class I could probably get a pretty good grade on, but I didn't really take it seriously back then. I mean, not like I do now. Um, I think the other thing with that class or the two that I took, I knew that it was going to be an easy class and I went into it probably a little bit more confident than I would now. Like I was less open to learning and soaking in any little bits of knowledge that I could, because even when you go into a class or a workshop or any of that, where you already know the content itself, there's still plenty that you can learn. I mean, even reading the, the bountiful number of, articles online that say top 10 tips for like landscape photography and all that yeah yeah they're cliches and most of them are the same 10 tips just rehashed every month but every once in a while there's still little things that you can point out but more than that i began getting inklings of wanting to teach specifically photography Mm -hmm. because there were people in that class I mean, to be honest, the the two teachers, both years, and it was just one year after the next, I think, that I took it, or even maybe just one semester after the next, I can't remember, right? But there were two totally different teachers teaching it because the school was just grabbing either long-term subs or uh, people from the art department, like art teachers, in order to teach this class, just to fill it, just to have a teacher for it. So these people didn't necessarily have as much experience as even I did having at that time been doing photography for maybe two years or so. Hmm. And so a lot of it was, I was actually helping the teacher and teaching the teacher new things about photography, as well as helping my classmates and giving better critiques and all of that in the classroom when we were doing, when we were showing our projects. So I think that was really where I got a lot of enjoyment out of it because I was able to help other people and use my knowledge and expand upon my knowledge by teaching others 
And I think that's why people do the whole YouTube thing too, because they learn photography, they learn this one, say, this cool editing trick, or they learn how to process their film. And that's why you have so many film photographers who have only been shooting with film for maybe the past six months, but are now already posting out content on film. Yeah. Because they learned, okay, this is how I develop black and white film. I want to make sure that I have this right, so I'm going to post a video about this, teach it how I know it, and then hopefully comments will come in and say, hey, here's three different ways to improve your process. Because that's the absolute best way to help to make sure that you know what you're talking about and help to expand your knowledge on a certain topic is by teaching it. Because if you go in and you teach it and all of a sudden you realize they're not able to get it based on how I'm teaching it, well, then I don't understand it enough. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. Um, because, I mean, the, the the moment you try to teach something, that's, that's when it definitely calls into question your complete understanding of everything when you're trying to, you know, simplify the process down in a way to articulate it to others. Yeah. And, and I also wonder if, because you had mentioned your experience of, you know, with the class and then being there in person and then seeing the, the development and then the results with the students, like in person, to me, that seems like that is a much more rewarding process than anything online where you don't see, I mean, you'll see some degree of the results, but not in the same way as you do in person. Plus um, you have that immediate feedback. Yeah. You can see it in, when I mean, teachers say this all the time and to the point of it almost being cliche, but it's, I even saw it when I was doing some uh, observations at schools and doing a little bit of teaching here and there. And you can tell when someone understands it because of the gleam in their eye, when all of a sudden they're working hard on this, even whether it's a math project or uh, a photography, like making a photograph, editing it, when they get something and it everything finally clicks into place, you can see it. Yeah. And that's not possible when you're online. Yeah, you can yeah. get you can get affirmations from people afterwards saying, Oh, thanks, like in form of comments, oh thanks for posting this and it helps so much, but you don't quite get that same connection. Yeah. It seems like you're more so getting like the little little dopamine bumps as opposed to you know, having more so the connection with seeing the actual results. And and anytime we see anything on a computer screen, it always feels, you know, it's different than handling a print or seeing that print like mounted on the board and put up for critique. And um, so it, it, I would think that, I mean, I can definitely see how teaching in person is really going to be, perhaps a lot more, um, a much more rewarding process. And, and also it would seem like the motivations are different too, because compared to the tutorials and such online, where in that case, you get to wonder how much of the motivation is coming from actually want to teach versus how much of it is really just to get the video out there for the ad revenue. And, and obviously, you know, that's an important part of 
of anyone's existence trying to pay the bills. But it, there is definitely a, a bit of a difference there in terms of, you know, between the two of those. I mean, I think Sean Tucker is a pretty good example of that. And he's pretty outspoken about it, too, from my understanding mm-hmm. that his YouTube video, the videos that he enjoys most are these interview projects that he's been working on and the more sitting on the couch, waxing philosophical kind of videos, just talking straight to camera. Yet he's still posting tutorials, especially on like recently he's been doing ones on Photoshop and editing portraits and all this kind of thing. And he's spoken out about it that those videos for the most part are just to draw in some, some more traffic with hopes that someone will go watch one of those videos, say, Hey, this is pretty well done. What else does this guy have? And then, Oh, what's this video? And then get drawn into the rest of the content. Yeah. Which I think is a more, I don't think it's necessarily about the money in that aspect for, for him, as much as it is for some other people, it's a more, um, more wholesome i guess is at least one of the words to use for it uh, approach of doing things yeah it's and it's a realistic approach in terms of that's just that's the way that the platform works Um, though also it seems like a lot of the people that are consuming the educational content there are people that are rather new with photography and one would hope that you know you're the other work that you produce will hold their attention as they continue to grow as opposed to like in the case of uh, my wife you know remodeling the bathroom during the pandemic you know she watched all those videos on tiling and concrete countertops she learned what she had to learn and then she was you know she had no need for that content anymore you know yeah so it's probably a matter of having some degree of balance there and like you were saying too, I mean, with with Sean specifically, that's a matter of you have a lot of beginners watching those tutorials and more perhaps advanced photographers who are watching his other videos because they're not necessarily looking for the how-to or the technicals, but they're looking for more of the inspirational kind of content. Yeah. And so you can grow with, as you grow, you can grow with his channel too. Now, a little while back, you had mentioned critiques. Yes. And I, I have some experience with critiques in some of the uh, classes I took in, in high school and in college. And then there's also, um, you know, the format that people are probably a little more familiar with now. It would be, you know, online critiques and uh, places like naturephotographers.net or naturephotographers.net network i think is what the the new one is i keep going yeah, yeah. the old url <laughs> um, sorry it'll be in the show notes <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so i'm i i have some thoughts on on critique but but first i i do want to hear what what do you see as the difference between the in-person critiques and the online critiques or, or do you see a difference there um, I can be more honest. I mean, I can't, I don't even know if I can say that as a whole though. I think people can be more honest 
in online critiques than they can in person. Yeah. Though this is definitely not always the case because like I look at NPN and some of the critiques that people give and to certain photographs and I don't necessarily see as much honesty on there as I should. And so as being a part of NPN, I have been trying to really boost the number of uh, critiques that I give to people. And most of mine, much in the same vein as you, I'm sure, aren't saying what's what could be done or how I would do something better or how to fix something, but rather what's good about it and how you can advance it. Not necessarily technically, but more, more on like an inspirational kind of level. I'm not sure exactly how to, how to get that across, but nonetheless, I can, I try to be as honest with them as I can. I mean, if something's not working for me, I'm just going to tell them something's not working. Like something's just without being a complete jerk about it. <laughs> I mean, but that's I think that's the, that's, yeah, that's the biggest thing, especially when it's online because we see that with texting all the time too. I mean, you, you can interpret a single text. You can interpret just the single word. Okay. Like 7 million ways. Yeah. Depending on the context and the mood that you're in and all of that. Yeah. For sure. And I think that's the biggest difficulty with online versus in person. Because in person, you can actually see, okay, this person, as as harsh as he is being right now, he means well. Like, he's not just doing this to knock me down a couple pegs to show that he's better than me. Is is there a a format that you try to follow or a... Or I should say, what what's what's your approach when giving a critique? Like, what what's the process you go through? Absent-mindedly, I guess I kind of go along with what I've always been taught when it comes to, like, peer reviews for English papers and that kind of thing, because that's what I know uh, a lot better. I mean, I'm not... I'm definitely not one for photography critiques. I can't stand doing them, to be quite honest. Um, but I try to go and talk about what I like about the image as like a first thing and then something that yeah I'm not too much a fan of and then either end it with something either in a way that could potentially help to fix it yeah or another point that I really like about it so, so something like the something classic like, critique sandwich kind of a thing yeah something along the lines of oh I really like the diagonal lines that you implemented in this photograph it helps to really bring your eye to the subject and how you use the vignette to really narrow down the uh really highlight that subject as well and maybe some kind of actual critique would be like what if you crop this into a square format because there's a lot of dead space on the right and left side of this or something and then end it with overall I think that you just did really really well with this image or something I look forward to seeing what else you have yeah something something really basic and just almost templated kind of format but that's just because I don't have a lot of experience with actually critiquing people and I also don't want to come across too too strong but I think that's also an issue that we have to get over if we want to really advance our career and advance our or photography as an art form. Yeah. I 
I don't think I necessarily have a a specific technique, um, but usually the first thing I try to do is I try to pay attention to what my initial impression of the image is and try to figure out how that makes me feel and then to try and, and then to articulate that in a way because for me that part is is rather important because um, there's there's always that that difficult to describe aspect of an image that makes you feel a certain way and if one of my images is critiqued and the person mentions something along those lines oh it made me feel this way or that way and if that aligns with more so what I had in mind as I was shooting it. Um, it's nice to know that that particular aspect of the image comes through, uh, setting aside any sort of like technical issues. Um, so that, that's usually one of the first things I do. I just mentioned how, how the photo makes me feel. And because I, I figure that that's probably, hopefully comes of some value for the person who's, who's receiving the critique. Yeah. Um, and, and then I, I'll usually there's, I mean, there's no photo that's perfect. Um, and if a photo is perfect, then there's something weird about that photo. Um, <laughs> there's always something minor. Cause usually the way that I feel based on looking at a photo, it's a direct result of the contents of that image, the, the subject choice, the lighting, something along those lines. And sometimes I'll identify something that seems to go a little bit against that feeling whether it's maybe something is standing out too much or not enough, or you're not, there perhaps isn't quite as much emphasis on, on something in particular. And that's where, you know, some, some subtle tweaks can, can help with that. Maybe alleviate some tension that conflicts with the, let's say that the photo has a rather calm feeling. And I can tell that that is likely what the photographer was intending for but perhaps there's something very subtle that is conflicting with that. And if there's a way of alleviating that or leaving that, that tension, um, then it can further reinforce that initial feeling of the photo. Um, Cause this, this is more so the process I go through with, with my own images where I look at it and I'm like, there's something just not quite right about this. And it's usually something rather small. Um, I, what what's your thoughts on when it comes to suggesting crops of an image? I mean, I know with my work, I always try to stay within confines of an aspect ratio, the, like a set ratio. So like four by five, eight by 10, four by six, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, my, my big thing is I will explain to them how to crop it, but I won't show them. I know a lot of people with like NPN specifically, you can go on and people will let you download their image at like a lower resolution to, to help to show them what kind of changes you might make. And to me, that makes me a little uncomfortable. I'm yeah. not sure exactly why, like I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll do it, but it gives me that same feeling of like when you go onto Facebook and say you post a photograph that you really like and you talk a little bit about it and then a couple comments down you have someone posting another image of theirs yeah 
and it gives that same feel of like okay now i'm trying to steal the attention from the original yeah uh, post so like i said i will just tell people roughly how to crop it and let them take their own interpretation of it rather than again like you were saying earlier telling them exactly how to do it or showing them exactly how to do it i think it's a better way and that sounds like a very good approach to me I, i think one of my gripes when it comes to critiques and this is probably more so for online critiques because it's just a byproduct of the way that it works is when a person posts a photo and you can tell that they had you know what their sense of vision was for that scene and then during the critique someone will do like a massive crop of that photo and i mean crop in let's say that it was starting out at like uh I don't know, let's say a, a 20 megapixel camera. They crop down to like five megapixels. Yeah. They, they do this massive crop, which completely changes it. Cause at that point you are completely eliminating the, uh, the original vision of the photographer and you're making it into something of your own from what's already there, as opposed to working with the vision that the photographer had for that scene to begin with. And so that's, I'll say it's a little bit of a gripe of mine suggesting really big crops. I can understand a very subtle crop if there's uh, some sort of conflicting element causing some tension within the scene and maybe just uh, eliminating just some minor thing off to the side that I'm fine with. And I really like your strategy there in terms of saying, hey, you may want to you know, consider cropping that. Um, One that I did recently that involved cropping someone had photographed it was a pretty cool image of um you had like a nice deep blue wave in the very front and you had uh, sails that were the main focus and then it was almost like a panoramic uh, aspect ratio but off to the right you could see a bunch of i guess it was like a small town on a distant mountain and it was just something that like kept drawing my eye in. It was one of those things that it, it was it was pretty distracting to me. But there is no way for you to eliminate that, at least that I saw, without doing a ton of like cloning out, and then I think it just looked weird. Yeah. Or cropping. So that was one of, and that took off a decent like quarter of the image. That was like the only time that I really suggested cropping in to a. Uh, more harsh degree yeah because normally other times when i suggest cropping it's because yeah like i was saying you have a little bit too much dead space on one side or the other it'll help to balance the image out more without changing your intention of it now what about a situation where a there's something that you notice with an image that there is nothing that can be done about let's say for example they're photographing a scene that has a dominant foreground, kind of mid-ground background. And and you know that if they had taken, if they had moved the camera three inches to the right, things would line up better. But now the photo is done. There's nothing that can be done about it. What what kind of, uh, what, what are your thoughts in terms of, you know, raising issues along those lines as perhaps something that they can learn from next time but cannot will do nothing to benefit a photo that's already been taken it's the same thing as 
uh, learning from your mistakes, isn't it? It is. But in the context of a critique, it, it, seem, it feels a little different to me. See, I don't, I don't see it that way. I, I see it as, yeah, the photograph might be okay, but I want, when I'm critiquing and I, I kind of want people to, and I know it's never going to work out like this, or at least rarely will, but I want them to want the same from their photographs as I want from mine. Yeah. In the degree that I want the absolute best from mine. And if something just doesn't work right, even if it is a once in a lifetime shot, I want someone to point that out to me and say, here's what you do, or here's what may have made this photograph even better. Just one step up. Yeah. And so for me to critique someone about that, I have no issues telling them like, Hey, if you get the chance to, or if you come into a similar scenario here, maybe try another shot with three inches to the right, physically yeah. moving three inches to the right. Don't crop into it now. Don't try and fix it now. It's done. What's it, There's no fixing it in terms of making it that shot that it could have been. But take that knowledge the next time that you go out and apply that knowledge. And I mean, even... I mean, let's be honest. Most time, photographers have like 700 shots of one subject because it's free and it's digital. I mean, it, it's one thing for you and I where, especially with There's me, one. I take one photograph. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I take one photograph of a scene or a composition. All right, I'm done walking away. On to the next one. Yeah. And yeah, so for digital photographers especially, it's play around. I mean, that that's the best thing that you can do especially when you're first learning or you're not sure of something walk the scene and even as much as i hate to say it and it's not my style and i know it's not yours but digital's the number of files that you can take that's free i mean past physical storage and all of that there's no cost to it really so yeah use it yeah and i i definitely agree with that and and i will say that um the the bit about you know if if only the camera had been three inches to the right that is something that i often do mention in critiques um and i'll, I'll usually try to phrase it in a very nice way in terms of of you know being very nice about it saying like i know that there's nothing that can be done about it now this and that and you know finding ways of using nice words um but but basically to so that one can learn from a particular photo because that way it will be something that does go through their mind. Um, perhaps next time they're setting up a photo and just, just as you had mentioned, you know, learning from, from one's mistakes and it's, it's hard to learn from them if you don't recognize them. And that is an area where a, a critique really does, um, really does help out quite a bit with that. Um, but yeah, it's, it is a, I will say it's a bit of a challenge with the, with the critiques. And, and also the other thing, the other thing uh, you had mentioned about how uh, with online critiques and about how people oftentimes can be more honest, but then there's also when you have a, a community that forms around the critiques and there's a lot of familiar faces then I think 
that honesty goes away. And so I, a long time ago when I was first getting into photography, there was a photography review site. I can't even remember what it was. Uh, this had to have been early 2000s. And you can post your work on there for, for critique. And it, they were okay critiques. They weren't amazing, but they're okay. But you could also post it completely anonymously. And I got to say, I really enjoyed that because then you're getting more of a, a true sense of what people think about it because they don't know who it is that's posting the image. I mean, sometimes they can tell, but but that was an element that I really did like about that particular critique site. And we've talked about this before. You definitely uh, have a point there where you get into this community and all of a sudden people, they'll talk about an image without saying it to you directly. They, they'd be more inclined to like gossip about you or a photograph behind closed doors, just like in a small town community where you yeah. get to know everybody and you don't want to, you don't want to irritate anyone else or offend anyone else, but you still want to speak your mind. So you do it in little clicks and whether that's happening in a community like NPN, I kind of don't, I at least don't want to think so, but at the same time, I, I do agree that there's a, a lack it's of human nature. Yeah. And it's, there's a lack of honesty when it comes to some of the critiques. And like I said before, there's some that I go on and they have critiques and people are just trying to be nice and saying things and just beating around the bush when, yeah, it's going to hurt, but just tell them it's not a good image. Yeah. Just tell them it doesn't work. And, but don't just tell them it doesn't work. Tell them it doesn't work and give them ideas for making it better. Because that's what a critique is. At least in my mind, there shouldn't be any kind of, oh, yeah, good job. Here's a here's an award for taking this <laughs> photograph. I mean, yeah. come on. We're not kids. Like, yeah. you want to be, you want to have your work critiqued. Put it out there with the knowledge that you are going to be critiqued truly and honestly. And if you don't want your work critiqued, great. NPN has their showcase. Instagram has free Instagram. platforms yeah <laughs> you throw it up on instagram delete yeah. make sure that there are no comments you can disable your comments disable your likes all of that just throw it up there i mean yeah. there are ways to get around it where if you don't want to be critiqued then don't whatever then don't that's fine yeah but if you really want to learn and you really want to improve your photography in a much quicker succession throw your work out there and get it critiqued and ask for the most truthful brutally honest feedback that you could possibly get because that's what's that's going to make the difference i hope you enjoyed our creative banter you can learn more about cody's work by visiting his website codyschultz.com and you can find my work at benhorn.com if you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to us by email at Cody at CodySchultz.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you around next time.